will read uh, Matthew 2, the visit of the Magi. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the King of Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for that, this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them that the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On the coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and, franken and of frankincense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod had died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene.
This is the word of the Lord. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Our great Father, uh, we are grateful to gather together to consider your word. Lord, to Lord, ask that you might do a work in our hearts even as we come to your word. Father, that you might show us again how awesome of a God you are. How you are indeed working all things together for the good of your people. Let us be refreshed as we watch our Messiah be rescued from the hands of the evil one. Let it stir us, Lord, to hope, to refreshment. Lord, let it stir us to trust you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I learned a Chinese saying this week. The Chinese saying goes like this, you cannot have two tigers on the same mountain. You know that one? You cannot have two tigers on the same mountain. Well, as we look at this story, this narrative, this Christmas story, we see that Herod does not want any competition on his mountain. Herod wants to stay at the top. That's his primary interest. Not only do we see this from the Bible, we see this in the historical records. Herod was passionate about one thing, and that is maintaining his kingship. And anyone that would slightly threaten it, oh, he was angry. He was going to do something. Well, brothers and sisters, here is the backdrop of the Christmas story. The evil one, that same evil one who deceived and tricked Adam, is here in our passage Thousands of years later, causing damage. This evil one is fashioning people to be like him. He is deceiving people. And here we see the evil one rising up through Herod, seeking to destroy God's plan. But as God has promised, as you know, even as we've learned from Genesis 3.15, that God has promised to protect his people and that one day he was going to raise up his anointed king. Though the nations rage, though kings will seek to destroy God's work. Here's the reality, my friends, is that God will set his king on the mountain. He is the one true king. He is the one who is worthy to be at the top. But even as Jesus begins to make his move, his, his, these steps toward the top, God is going to, each step of the way, God is going to protect him. God is going to look out for him. And he's going to do so. He's going to protect him in the most unexpected ways. I think I will remove my mask. He's going to do so with unexpected people. A lot of interesting characters, people who are very distant from the kingdom of God, are actually going to be the ones that are the example in the passage, given the proper response to Jesus the King. They're actually going to be used to serve and, and protect this one true King. We're going to see unexpected places. This geographical movement of King Jesus reflects, is going to reflect his character. It's going to reflect his mission. 
designed by God. Each of these locations are designed by God to promote his kingship and to show the type of kingship that he's going to have. It's a different kind of role than all other rulers of this earth. And we're going to see again and again this unexpected protection, these supernatural interventions as we see what God did for Christ, we get a glimpse of what God is going to do for His people. Just as He has done for His true eternal Son, so too does He promise with His children who are in the Son that we too will have a similar journey, that God is going to bring unexpected people into our lives, going to bring us to unexpected places, even like today, here we are in Subang. And yet all of it is going to be working for His glory. All of it is going to be moving us to fix our attention on the one true King. That's His purpose. Now, some of you today, God may do an unexpected work in you. You may be far from the kingdom. You may be coming every week and yet still be far from the kingdom. And this morning, God is showing His power to save, and may even this morning we see people finding new life. But we're not surprised that God works in unexpected people and unexpected places because Jesus himself, the king himself, is from the most unexpected places. He will be the most unexpected kind of king. all of his family, with all these different moves, these difficult journeys that they're going to make, we're going to see that our king, he understands our suffering. He understands our lowliness. So church, even you who may feel like this year has already been loaded with enough transitions, do we have to move church locations right now? <laughs> um, pandemic, flooding, all kinds of difficulty has came our way, but this morning let us remember that the high King of Heaven knows and understands where we are, and He cares. This morning, may all of us come underneath His good authority and under His good protection and be set free from the evil one and His schemes. This morning, that is my prayer that God might show His faithful protection just as He protected His Messiah, so too He will protect us, His people. He's going to arrange every circumstance of your life, all the, the even seemingly insignificant details of your life, He's going, to, He's going to use those to bring about His good purposes. So brothers and sisters, let's, let's dive in. Let's walk through this story. First, we see these individuals, these people and places in, in verse 1 as Matthew's kind of giving us uh, the characters, the significant settings. But before that, if we get the context, Matthew chapter 1, he's focused actually less on the birth story. It's actually very small. He begins with a long focus on the lineage of King David. It's this long genealogy, right? Well, what's the point? It is to say that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise given to David. That he's a unique son. This is going to be highlighted again and again. He's not any ordinary son. He's of the lineage of David. And Matthew, at the end of chapter 1, is going to highlight his uniqueness by his names. 
His name is Jesus, which means he's the rescuer. He's the deliverer. He's going to save his people from our sins. We see this title, this name that he's given, that is the Christ. He is the anointed king, just as we saw from Psalm 2. This is it. He is the one to rescue us from evil. And then Emmanuel, he is called God with us. Jesus is no ordinary baby. Yes, he is the Son of God. The children knew it. He is God come to earth, taking on human flesh. Now we come to chapter 2, and it's really the post-birth. Short snippet on, on the birth. And what Matthew focuses on is what follows immediately after that. Well, he reminds us where Jesus is born. It's Bethlehem. And uh, any Jew reading this knows that it's a small, very small, insignificant uh, a town in the world's eyes, but it is significant, and we'll, we'll see that in just a moment. Um, we see that it's the days of Herod. Herod, not of the line of David, but of the line of Edom. That is the line of Esau. This is significant, because though Jacob is the youngest, Esau is going to serve him. Herod is not from the promised line. But very quickly, our attention is actually supposed to move to this word, behold. That's an old, old school way of saying, hey, pay attention. Pay attention. The Magi are coming from the east to look for this king of the Jews. And you're like, okay, who are, who are these wise men? The word in Greek is, is Magi. There may be kings. A lot of people try to figure this out, right? There's not a ton of detail about these these magi, these wise men. Some people think there's king, they're kings, good reason. They go straight up to Herod. It seems like they just, you know, have this, this kind of authority. They, it seems like they have a, quite an entourage because the whole city is kind of getting stirred by this, by this group that's coming. Some people think because of the gifts, right? They seem very, very wealthy people. But we don't really know. Seems like they're astrologers, modern day horoscope readers, perhaps. How many of them? Well, three is the guess. Three is the estimation because there's three different gifts that are mentioned, but of course, again, we don't know. Again, it likely a, a big a big caravan, however many of them there are. Now, where are they from? Well, we're also not sure. We know the East. That could, of course, mean a lot of places. Many people think Persia. A lot of people thought Arabia, modern-day Iraq. But what's clear is that they have this knowledge about the Jews' expectation of a Messiah, of a king who is going to come that's going to be worthy of worship. So here you have these Gentiles. If you're reading this as a Jew... In those early centuries, you're going, wow, okay. These guys are caught up with this Jewish thing that's happening. These people who are very far, not, not only physically far, but spiritually, they're far from the kingdom, and yet they're taking notice. It's interesting that Matthew is focusing on them because his book is really focused on a Jewish audience. So you wonder what he's doing. Now, you also have this mysterious star, okay? Perhaps it's an echo of the prophecy of Balaam, Numbers 24, 17. A star 
shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Fits the expectation of a king. It also fits the idea that's happening in this passage of a Gentile coming and honoring God and doing God's work unexpectedly. But we don't know exactly. Now, some of the people have sought ex uh, naturalistic explanations, right? They thought maybe this is like some kind of nova or supernova that happened around Jesus' birth. Even from the Chinese records we see in 4 BC, this nova, this supernova, right, would have captured people's attention. Now, just so you know, side note, uh, our calendars are off by about four years, okay? So, <laughs> not exactly on. Some people think it was this, this planetary conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter coming together. It's kind of catching these, these astrologers' attention and saying, hey, there's a king, there's something big happening in Palestine, we need to go. Well, all these are interesting, but I would like to propose to us that the focus of the text is actually on the fact that this is a miraculous event. This, this star appears, then it, then it disappears, it reappears, and then all of a sudden it descends to the exact location where these wise men can actually find Jesus. It seems to be something entirely unique. It actually, I wonder if it makes the people of God think the pillar of fire and the cloud that was leading God's people through the wilderness. But the focus isn't the star, the focus isn't the magi, it's the worship of the king. That's the focus. Now Herod hears this news, and he's troubled. It says also not only him, but those who had heard the news in the city are troubled. He knows that there's competition. So he's going to gather his chief priests, and he's going to try to figure this out. He's thinking, guys, is there anything in the scripture that will explain what is happening about this king who's going to be born somewhere. Do we know where he's going to be born? He's trying to figure all this out. Now, the chief priests and the scribes, they knew the scriptures. So they come to the prophecy of Micah, which is written 700 years before the time of Christ. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which captures the main idea. We see it in verse 5 and 6. It says this, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so is written by the prophet and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall a ruler come, who will shepherd my people Israel. This is amazing. This is amazing. These Jews are reading about their Messiah that's coming. And then there's these Gentiles that are saying, we think he's here. We think he's, he's on the scene. This is incredible. This is an opportunity for these Jews who've been waiting to discover the fulfillment of God's promises for years and years, hundreds of years, thousands of years. God has been pointing to this one who is going to come. What are they going to do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, what is Herod's response? Well, Herod's response is to act super spiritual. This is what we just naturally do. Sometimes we just want to, want to look really spiritual. He said, yeah, you know, wise men, go find that baby and then tell me and I will come back and I will worship, I will worship him too. Now we know deep down, we knew his plans. 
the evil one, loves to disguise himself as a children of light. And here David, uh, excuse me, here Herod is reflecting his father, the devil. Lord, would you protect us from such hypocrisy of showing outward signs of godliness and yet having a cold heart, having an evil heart towards the Lord. Evil plans, evil intentions. The prophecy is crystal clear, but Herod's hard heart is only going to move him to seek to protect himself and his reign. He's going to seek to use the Magi for his evil purposes. So they go, and miraculously the star leads them to the direct spot, and they are ecstatic. It says they're, they're, they're rejoicing. There's this ex- they're filled with this exceeding joy, great joy. They're surprised. They're surprised that they've actually made it there. This is not an ordinary situation. They are blown away, and there they are. They're in the house. Not in the stable anymore, apparently. They're in a house, and there are Mary and Joseph and the baby. Perhaps is coming into be a young child, perhaps even nearing two years old. We don't know exactly. There they see the baby, and they fall to the ground and worship. These Gentiles... Do they even understand who this baby is? We don't know exactly. But we do get a very clear picture of the proper response to King Jesus. What a contrast, right? You have these foreigners, these Gentiles who are far from God's truth, far from in a distant country, and yet you have these knowledgeable teachers of the law, the chief priests, the scribes, Herod, They are near to God's word. They're near to the Messiah, and yet they couldn't be any farther from him. This is the contrast that you're supposed to see in the narrative. Clearly, God is wanting to paint us a picture that the Gentiles, representative of all nations, are coming in. They're coming to worship the eternal Son of God, that this Baby is worth the attention. I'm reminded of Genesis 49.10, which we've talked about how a ruler will come, and it says to him will be the obedience of the peoples, the blessing of Abraham extending now to all nations past this small Jewish nation. The plan is that his kingdom would spread throughout the whole earth. There they are, they're worshiping, but they're also worshiping by giving gifts, expensive gifts. One commentator says this, gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for one that was to die. These were the gifts of the wise man, and even at the cradle of Christ, they foretold that he was to be the true king, the perfect high priest, and in the end, the supreme savior of men. Again, did they understand? You wonder, right? But God is making one truth just blasting off this page that He, Jesus, is at the top of the mountain. 
that he alone is worthy to be there. So our takeaway this morning is that God is bringing unexpected people to himself. Those who may be far away, even maybe you today, are far away from God's kingdom. But the awesome thing about God's story is it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how far away you are from God's kingdom. His love and his power is bringing sinners to himself so that you too might share in the joy of the Magi. So we have two options this morning. Will we be like Herod, who seeks to preserve at all costs our own rule of our lives, or will we submit to King Jesus? You cannot have two tigers on the same mountain. Our sinful hearts are very much like Herod. We do not like to lose our place at the top of our lives. And here Jesus comes on the scene and he's going to say many challenging things. He's going to speak as one with authority, as a king, who deserves to be submitted to. Some of us might be tempted to just ignore him, to do nothing. Let this not be you today. What greater illustration do we have of Jesus' kingship than the Christmas story that he would leave the riches of heaven. He would have everything, far richer than Herod. And yet he would come and experience the humiliation that we experience as humans. He would enter our world and our mess. There's more to the story. We see the first sign of God's protection of this baby that while the Magi are sleeping, a dream is given. Don't go back to Herod. And they don't go back. They are going to be a means of protection for this Messiah. It could be a great cost to them. I don't know exactly. But this could have been a sacrifice. But after they depart, we see again the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. And the angel says, hey, go away from Herod, okay? He's actually seeking to destroy this child. You've got to get out of this town. You're going to go to a specific location. You're going to go to Egypt, Joseph. Right into Gentile territory. This geographical movement is so important as we see the second prophet that comes up, Hosea, that's referenced here. And we're not going to spend much time. Dr. Leong has covered it in the past. And he's going to cover it again as in January. We'll actually be in the book of Hosea. But Hosea, the prophet, is pointing back to Exodus 4.11 as God brings his people out of Israel. Now God is bringing his people out through the Messiah. Israel is going to be preserved. Jesus, the, the true Israelite, is going to be preserved. Coming up out of Egypt, so too... His people are going to be rescued. History is repeating itself. This is an echo, a recapitulation of the Exodus. Jesus will redeem his people out of sin and bondage, not to Pharaoh, not even to Herod, but he will rescue us from the seed of the serpent, from the evil one, from the devil. 
Time passes, goes back to Herod, and we see that he gets it. The Magi are not coming back, and he's furious, he's angry, he feels tricked, he feels betrayed. Now it's very interesting, right? Because he's the sneaky one, he's the tricky one. Doesn't say that the Magi said that they were gonna they were gonna come back. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says, Proud men are quick to imagine insults. Proud men are quick to imagine insults. Even though he's the one with the evil scheme, the Magi proving very wise, avoid Herod's evil schemes. But in his rage, he's going to order that all the male children under the age of two years old be killed. Put them to death. This is a tragic and horrific scene in the Christmas story, one that we don't really enjoy thinking about. It's estimated that Bethlehem's population around this time was around 500 to 1,000 people. So scholars are estimating that, okay, you're talking maybe 20 to 50, you know, who knows, 100 babies in this age. Now, some have really questioned uh, the historicity of this. They've said, oh, you know, this is just the Jews hating Herod. They're making this up, but it's really easy to see. You just read about Herod from other sources. He was, uh, he was an angry man who lashed out repeatedly in his life. One uh, scholar, R.T. France, says this, in the last few years, in Herod's last few years, Herod's paranoid defense of his throne led him to execute many imagined claimants, including three of his sons and his favorite wife. The elimination of a handful of male infants in a small village of Bethlehem was entirely in character. Then again, you have another prophet that Matthew quotes, Jeremiah 31, 15, and we're supposed to see the pattern. It's a very interesting quote. Many of us, we read this and we have no clue what's going on. This is a voice is heard in Ramah. Ramah is on the border between the northern and southern kingdom, and what would happen at Ramah would be that those who were in Ramah were able to witness the evil invaders of the Babylonians years before taking away their people, destroying their people, seeing the Assyrians come in and kill and destroy their people. So here symbolically, Rachel, symbolically as Israel is weeping at the loss of these children at the hands of evil men. Just following this joyous Christmas day is weeping. The Christmas story we remember is in the context of a very bloody battle. The evil one seeks to kill still and destroy so there is grief. There is weeping. But soon after, seems to offer some hope. Herod dies. The angel of the Lord appears again in a dream to Joseph. This is the third dream we see. And Joseph comes back to Israel, perhaps Bethlehem, and learns that Herod's evil son is ruling. He's given another dream. This is Joseph's third dream. But overall, fourth dream says, hey, look, you gotta, you got to get out of this area as well. So he moves to another district, and it just so happens that he goes to Galilee, a place where there is 
a lot of Gentiles mixture, Jews and Gentiles, and even more explicit, the text tells us he would go to a specific town, Nazareth. It's extremely insignificant, small little Kampong that nobody knows about. That's where Jesus is going to be from. That's where he's going to be known. And later on it says, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Fulfillment of the prophets. Notice it's plural here. The idea is that the prophets collectively have been prophesying of a Messiah of a low condition. It's not a quote. Zechariah would prophesy about this, but especially Isaiah comes to our minds. So in Isaiah, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. If he stays in Bethlehem, at least he has the connection to, to David, King David, this rural city. But instead, he goes to no name, Nazareth, from Bethlehem to Egypt to Ramah to Nazareth, the royal city to the place of oppression, Egypt, to the place of weeping, Ramah, to the place of insignificance, Nazareth, all of these are God-ordained moves to show the character of his mission, that Christ, the Messiah, is going to be a humble king, friends. He's going to be one of us. He's going to know our suffering. He's going to know the ordinary mess, the struggles that we face. He's going to be like you and I, the rock God. God is going to move in these unexpected and mysterious ways, and yet we're going to see the goodness of God at every turn. King Jesus is going to rise of a totally different kingship than King Herod. You couldn't have a further opposite. It's been said, King Herod is selfish and self-serving. Jesus, what is he? He's self-denying and self-sacrificing. While Herod is a destroyer of the weak, Jesus is the Savior. He's the gentle and kind one to the littlest of his creatures. Herod was out of control, yet Jesus is in control of the world. It's no accident that you are here. God is arranging the circumstances of our lives that we might be brought to see the beauty and the greatness of his kingship. It's not an accident that you're online today hearing God's word. He is ordering our lives that we might know him. There is no king like the Lord Jesus Christ. So even as we go through this life, this very tumultuous time of, of changes, right? Year after year, maybe another year, 2022. But what we see in this text, God is committed to his people, protecting his Messiah, that this Messiah might defeat the enemy for us. A baby is preserved and King Herod is dead. And Jesus is is bringing life and victory to his people. Genesis 3.15, Psalm 2. The nations rise up. They rage against God. We ourselves at times are tempted to push ourselves up, to promote ourselves. 
But friends, let us be humbled this morning and again place ourselves under His loving rule. That our God is arranging the events of our lives, even our church move, that we might focus on one thing. Not on a church building. Not on eating together. But focus on the central reality of Christmas. That is that Christ is a king like no other. Who's worthy of all of our attention all of our affection. Do you know this Christ? Do you know this King? Would you come to Him this morning? It's wonderful to think about the history of our church moving from Subang to Puchong in 2010. And we saw God remarkably soften this owner's heart to allow us to have this place. He didn't want a church there. God wanted a church there. God softened his heart. And now God bringing us back to Subang. Lord willing, soon, be able to go back to Puchong. And we can be confident of this, church. We can be confident of this, that our God is leading his church. That our God is leading us to safety, to protect us from the evil, and to give us that victory in his Son. So today, let us worship our King. Merry Christmas to all. We have a glorious King, a glorious Messiah, who is shepherding His people. Victorious as a baby, victorious now reigning in heaven. Revere Him. Worship Him as the only true King of the mountain. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this Christmas story. We thank you for the hope that we can have that Christ is victorious. That none of your promises will fail. Father, we praise you that Jesus came and we see the character, the quality of his person. That he would come humbly, though a king, for all eternity, he would come and be with us. That he would dwell with us in our suffering. That he would enter our pain. And he would come and be our deliverer. That he would come and free us from the devil and his lies. That we might learn to follow you, our true king. Father, give us joy in following Christ this season. Lord, give us humility Lord, for those who do not know you this morning, Lord, online or in this place, Lord, I pray that they today might find Christ in his glorious kingdom. May they submit today. Father, may we all submit to his good rule. We pray all this in Christ's name.